Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. The one thing most people seem to agree on is that our country is divided, and increasingly so. Could it be that this disconnect is driven by a lack of diversity at all levels of society and in all sectors? That is the argument made by television presenter June Sarpong in her book, Diversify, Six Degrees of Integration. I'm Connor Pope, Deputy Editor of Progress. I'm joined by Richard Angel, Progress Director, and Henna Shah, Editorial Assistant. And we'll be talking to June about how to put diversity into action, as well as what it means for her pro-Europe campaigning. So, June... Thanks for coming on the show. Diversify came out just a few months ago. What first spurred you on to start researching a book about the effects of diversity in Britain? Well, what happened was a, a, an incident in America that made me realize that I wasn't as open-minded as I thought I was. So uh, like most uh, British television talent, I decided to try and go and crack America. And um, so, <laughs> the holy grail. I'm pleased to say I didn't crack America, but made a little dent in her east and west coast sort of stayed away from Kansas. Um, so, anyway, so, uh, so I was, no offense to anyone from Kansas. Uh, so I was filming in Las Vegas and a young man appeared on set who was covered head to toe in tattoos. And I immediately felt really uncomfortable around him and intimidated by him. And he hadn't behaved in an aggressive way or, in, or menacingly or anything like that. I just made up all of these assumptions about who I thought he was. And in that moment, I was able to look at this issue from the perspective of the other side, because as a, a black woman, I always look at it as being on the receiving end as opposed to doing it myself. Anyway, I'm glad to say I pushed through my discomfort and I went to speak to him. And yes, he had had a difficult start in life. He'd made some not so great choices, but our sound man had taken him on under his wing uh, as an apprentice. I couldn't help but think how difficult it was going to be for this kid to be all that he could be and to contribute all that he had to give to society when even people like me prejudged him and felt uncomfortable around him. So I thought, wow, I want to start a conversation around this. Didn't know what. And the sort of most obvious tool, even more than television, which is, you know, the area that I work in, was to write a book so that I could really go into detail and, and to, to do some serious research on this stuff. And you call it a polemic in some of the 
advertising for the book, but it's not just no. your views. No. You've got Nuffield College sitting behind you, totally. proper academic work. Yes. So what kind of research did yes. you do? So I partnered with Nuffield College at Oxford and also with the LSE. So with Nuffield, it's sort of two different types of research. So with Nuffield, their research is very much where we currently are with each mm-hmm. of the different groups. And when I look at diversity, I look at it across the board. So I look at gender, I look at disability, I look at LGBTQ issues, I look at class, of course, in Britain, you kind of have to, and age, uh, and then disenfranchised men, which I think is something that we really need to start taking seriously. Mm-hmm. And so with uh, Nuffield, again, their research is very much on where we are with each of those groups. And with LSE, they actually calculated the cost of discrimination. So yeah, there's a lot of research in there and a lot of statistics. So I think it's really important that people understand where we are and where we could be if we change. You wrote a piece for Progress Magazine a couple yes. of months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in that you have some of these statistics in there about the gap between white men who on average and £207 a week more than British Bangladeshi men Mm. and £265 a week more than British Bangladeshi women. Why do you think that these specific economic inequalities persist? Yeah, Yeah. well, I think, you know, we live in a capitalist society and unfortunately we value money more than people and we demonstrate how we value people based on how we pay them that tells us who we value most in Mm. our society and so i think the only i this research so basically how it works is it looks at what it costs the cost of not being a white man in society and actually i think the thing that's missing from the research is we didn't break it down by class because actually if we broke it down by class it's the cost of not being an elite white man really Mm. is what we should be looking at because if you're a working class man that's also expensive (laughs) (laughs) and so it works out on average uh, uh, for all of the other groups in society it's about sort of £9,300 a year and then obviously on a per capita basis it's even worse when you look at ethnicity but I think it's really important to look at these issues and then to be able to address them and there's lots of different reasons as to why we have this income inequality it's not just purely discrimination Mm. but it's really important to be honest about where we are that's the way we can move forward. Is this an effort to try and discuss this in a more mainstream way because I'm, I'm sure that there are lots of think tanks and academics yeah. who've done lots of research on this kind of thing before. And, and it, using your profile and your platform, is this a way to try and start a conversation between perhaps people who aren't poring over academic journals? Yeah, for sure. And it's a way to, dis- to discuss it in an inclusive way. So for me, I'm really interested in intersectionality and not just looking at Explain what group. that is, because I know yes. all of our readers will know, yes. or listeners, yes, sorry, sorry. Will, will know it's what. Part of this mille- you're a millennial, yeah. you know. It's part <laughs> of these sort of millennial buzzwords. Well, it's basically various groups uh, that fall into sort of different categories degrees of discrimination Um, and so i.e you can be a disabled woman so therefore you're in two groups you know you could be a disabled gay woman you're in three groups and so on and and in fact in in my case i I, at one point i was in four and now i'm a a black a woman working class and there was a time when i was officially disabled so i'm only in three categories at the moment i'm still time for me to be gay so i can then add that as well (laughs) actually henna can i bring you in on, on mm-hmm. this because I, w- I want to kind of ask if you think there are any 
dangers in the way that we discuss this because especially recently there was the Young Labour Liberation Conference, I think it was, and there was a lot of attacks on that about the idea that able-bodied white straight men wouldn't be able to vote for any of the officers at this and they were being excluded based oh, on their yeah, race. I didn't, and I didn't hear this. This, this is terrible. It was really quite so shocking. tell me what happened. So there was a, there's a Young Labour Liberation Conference. Yeah. And at this conference, different caucuses, so where there are ethnic minorities, women, disabled people, all elect to choose a representative to sit on the national committee so that they can essentially represent people in our society who are underrepresented okay. within the Labour Party, which is, you know, our job, mm. I think. Um, and what I think was really interesting was that when this came out, that there was this event which was organised for people who aren't white men um, in order to represent themselves in their groups for Young Labour nationally. It was leapt on as a form of discrimination within itself. Mm-hmm. It was sort of pushed on as an idea that it wasn't for equality. And I think this is really problematic because it puts faith in the idea that just because a group isn't represented, that they're not already represented within our society. So the reason why this exists is because marginalised groups don't have the representation which white men naturally have. And we believe that they should have that. I think it was awful. And I think the conversation around it was awful. I think that's what we should The right-wing press really pounced on it, didn't they? And saw this as some kind of way to trash Labour and its brand, when actually it's Labour trying to give people a foot up to make sure... Because our system is so entrenched that the people who currently have the power are. Yeah, but you see, this is a problem. I think what happens is it's a sort of liberal, do-gooder approach. And it's well-meaning, but I don't think it gets the results that you need because what it does is it actually fuels resentment. And I think, which is why for me, I think it's so important that you have inclusive conversations and at the end of the day, we all have to live side by side. We all have to figure out in creating this new normal. And so therefore, everybody has to be in that process. And I think one of the things, and I don't know if it was the same event, but I, I read about the one where they were offering uh, BAME people a discount. That Again, I found that so offensive because that assumption is that Number one, all BAME people are poor or poorer. And, and, and obviously, yes, we know that there's income inequalities. We talk about that. But, but it doesn't allow for the nuance either, does it? And then the second part is that the assumption that the only reason BAME people aren't participating is because of money. And I, again, I think that comes from a do-gooder, well-meaning sort of approach, but actually the better way of doing it is just go into BAME communities and let them know they're welcome. It's not about reducing specifically for this one ethnic group. I don't think that serves any purpose. So I think that's actually a really, really interesting point. And while I don't necessarily agree with the idea that BAME people shouldn't have a discount, I think schemes like this are often used as a shortcut to the real work. And I think what we're failing at and you can see it with the lack of representation amongst minorities in parliament is actually going out into those communities making them vote i know someone who's working on a project trying to get ethnic minority women to vote at the moment and i'm pakistani i think it's something like half of pakistani women don't vote in this country and no one's doing work on that and what is the research into the why 
Because we need to figure out the why, then we can deal with both. So I can make lots of assumptions, something to do with class, something Mm. to do with culture, language. Obviously, again, as you mentioned, I think class is the real one here. If Mm. if you're an educated metropolitan woman, you're far more likely to vote. Regardless of background. Regardless of background. Whereas if you're in a working class family who are living within a traditional culture in an area where you're surrounded by people like you. And you're struggling to get by, you know, you're just thinking about what's in front of you. You know, there's not the same luxury of thinking about bigger picture stuff. Yeah, I think this this feels quite similar to um, the conversation a couple of weeks ago around pardoning the suffragettes and whether the government should do that or not. And actually an argument put forward by uh, another of our colleagues, Stephanie Lloyd, was that actually the the Tories shouldn't pardon the suffragettes for what they did, partly because actually it's a way for the Tories to go, hey, look, you know, we're pro-women. We like what the suffragettes (laughs) did 100 years ago without actually doing anything for women today. And actually, you know, so, you know, we can, maybe the Labour Party can pat itself on the back over discounted tickets and that sort of stuff but actually it's the the much deeper elements of um, yes. of racial inequality specifically yeah, and engagement that, mm. yeah the bit i wanted to take this back to because i think what your book ably charts is this kind of race pay gap that mm. is present in our society mm-hmm. the gender pay gaps getting lots of focus as it should because mm. it still persists mm. um, in a the most stubborn ways and yeah. with 100 years of women's representation and anniversaries of bills being passed and that kind of stuff it's obviously yes. rightly in focus yes. but the bit that seems even more difficult to get into is this race pay gap. Partly because it manifests itself in a number of ways. There will be employers who are not paying people of different races the same for the same work. Mm -hmm. But invariably... Even more so than sometimes gendered roles, progression will be a very big bit of it, of Mm -hmm. people moving through the labour market. But it feels the labour market is particularly segregated. And so while there are bits where it's becoming better integrated... We don't have anywhere near Mm. enough BME people as Mm. teachers in those kind of graduate professions, uh, let alone in the city or or, or various... Or uh, senior positions. Or senior positions. But equally, if you look at the other extreme, if you go out to a nightclub and the person who is invariably giving out you hand lotion or whatever, they are... From uh, a background, yeah. From a, or a immigrant background, I- yeah. Offer either very recent immigrants or black. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if we're honest If we're about honest, it. yeah. And some we of those, like honest here. <laughs> well, yeah. We have to be to <laughs> yeah. get into this stuff, right? Yes. So the bit that I think is interesting about your book is... Mm trying to talk about how you have that conversation mm. because invariably it's not going to happen in a staff room mm. because either it's going to be very, very charged if you've got it conducted in your workplace. Potentially litigious. Exactly. Yeah. But most likely it's that they're not meeting. Yeah. It's that the chance to have a conversation about yeah. it doesn't take place. So what do you think, what's the route into yes. making this yes. mainstream yes. and something that those of us who care about it can take our, 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 our desire for change yeah. from... A podcast yes, to a reality, to reality so people get in their yeah. wages. I love that question, Richard. Thank you. I think the first thing is in terms of the labour market, We if we look at sort of the corporate structure, let's just say, because mm-hmm. I think blue collar jobs are slightly different to how white collar, this stuff plays out in white collar jobs. It's yeah. way worse in white collar jobs. Right. And I think the first thing is what you have is people from privilege just have agency and and networks Mm -hmm. so straight away you're likely if you're from a a privileged background even if you're going into a profession that you're that nobody in your family is in you're likely to have a contact to someone who's been in that profession so straight away you already know 
what to ask for in terms of pay. Let's just start there. Well, you, but take it back one step. You, yes. know, you know that job exists and you it's possible. You even know the job exists. I mean, yes. I used to live yes. in Lambeth. You go to the top yeah. of those tower blocks and you look at Westminster, the centre of political power, uh, Canary Wharf, the centre of economic power, and what is your route in? Yeah. You, the, the, the physical roads might take you within yes. five or ten yes. minutes, but your route into the House of Commons yes. is more likely as a cleaner than it is yes. as a politician as a or a researcher. Yeah. And your route into Canary Wharf is yes. the same. It's the same. Exactly. You're going as a cleaner rather than, as rather a than going as a yeah. banker, right? Yeah. And so, but knowing yeah. how you become a banker. Yes, is this first step. Yeah. Let alone what Let alone. wages to demand. Yes, exactly. So the first thing is is knowing it and that obviously has to be outreach and how we go into local state schools mm -hmm. how we educate our children for those sorts of professions and also in terms of looking at uh, gifted children when you look at how many kids with the right grades actually apply and go into and then are accepted into Russell Group universities that in itself is disgusting you know that's at 13% so the so there when we're not even creaming off the gifted kids so yeah. we've got yeah. those issues there let's say so we're starting there but then the, let's say you do get the ones that make it through that somehow find out that, yeah. that you know being a politician or a banker exists you don't have the same networks to even know what to ask for or to what to expect when you get there and therefore how many companies are actually going to tell you? They're quite happy if they're able to pay you less. And so then what happens is you go through the process of starting on less. We already have a value system that expects leadership to come from a very small sector of society. And we're comfortable paying that small sector of society large amounts of money because we think that that's what leadership looks like. And then throughout it, again, you're likely to be isolated. So therefore, you don't want to be the troublemaker raising issues around this. And I think so what has to happen is, and one of the things I suggest in the book, is the six degrees of integration. These are six steps. And the first thing I think is really important is for all of us to number one be aware of what our isms are and we all have them doesn't matter who you are so that's the first step then the second step is to check your I think so this is how you discriminate against others yeah yeah so your tattoo experience yeah, totally. that yeah, yeah right, okay. completely yep. and then the second step own your truth own your truth own your truth stay woke you don't have to share it with anyone but at least know it for yourself <laughs> <laughs> and then the second bit is to check your circle now people sort of you know a lot of people have poo-pooed this but I think it's so important if you look at your social circle the people that you choose to be around the people that mm. you actually have a, a decision in, in, in whether or not this person is going to be in your space if you are specifically around people that only look like you think like you uh yeah, come from a similar Trevor background. Trevor Phillips called, the, pho uh, called the, the phone book test. Look, oh, look in your phone book yes, and I bet you'll find it's yes, all people like you. Like you. They're the people that you regularly yes, would text or communicate with. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And if it's all... Paris Lee's had a go at um, Nick I Robinson on another, uh, another podcast. And what did she um, say? Because she said, you don't know any trans people, do you? No. I bet you look in your phone and there's not one person. Of course um, you wouldn't. Now, he was trying to give her a platform to talk about yes, her issues, but yes. it was a... And he acknowledged, you know, none yeah. of my friends are trans. Yeah. So this is an issue that is... Yes. 
I'm yeah. coming to yes. as an outsider. Outsider. So just checking your totally. own. Totally. Checking your circle. And if it is very homogenous, and even if you want to be liberal and, and have this sort of broad outlook, chances are there are going to be some, you know, little dents that make you look at things in quite a, a, a conservative way, even if you think you're not. And I think it's What rude. do you do about that? Because I meeting know, other friends as adults is actually quite difficult. If well, you don't work in a big workplace, well, it's funny. Being, I mean, the Labour Party I, does it for me because I have yes, you know, friends Labour, now from yeah, different generations. Exactly, yes. But if you weren't involved in the Labour Party and just moved to a new area. Well, I think it's really simple. I think sometimes it's actually on your doorstep. How many of us talk to our neighbours? Because the wonderful, particularly, it's different with the rest of the country, particularly in London. Actually, you will have extreme wealth, as we've seen in, in, in you know, with terrible consequences recently, but you'll have extreme wealth side by side with poverty. Now, how often do we actually engage with our neighbours? So you don't have to go far okay, to meet see. somebody different if you really want to. Mm. So we got to two. So we got to two. So that's the third piece. So then hopefully once you've checked your circle, I would hope you would change your mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would, well, spread I would, the net. So yeah, exactly, spread the net, that it would you know, make you sort of question some of the things that you've believed up until this point. And then after that is to celebrate difference. Because I think the other thing, particularly in liberal circles, we try and pretend we're all the same and we want to be the same. And actually, no, it's fine to be different. It's fine to, to, to sort of be able to connect with somebody that is the total opposite, but yet find common ground and be comfortable with that difference. Um, so once you've uh, celebrated difference, um, then I would hope, I always forget the fifth one. I can't remember the fifth one, but the sixth one is to um, uh, champion the cause, which is to tell everybody about it. So tell your colleagues, tell your friends and get them to also do the six steps. Very good. Yeah. Really helpful. So not only do you kind of highlight in the book the, the, the kind of numbers of the status mm. quo in terms of the race pay gap or, mm. or, or gender pay gap, you look to make the case, not just through your six cases, but you break it down as a moral argument, oh, yes. why diversity is good morally, yep. and, and, and obviously the, the kind of moral arguments against racism or yep. the isms. Yep. Um, socially, yep. why integration is beneficial yes. to all of us, yes. but also economically, yes. in that there's this huge talent that, that as a country and economy, yep. we are missing out on. And uh, I've been doing various things on Europe and talking about the kind of benefits of immigration. Mm. You just have to look at a system a city like Leicester, mm. who has embraced its diversity, mm. it outperforms other yes, cities. thriving as a result. Of, yeah. of its kind of size and, yes. and population yeah. because its diaspora yes. has been integrated yes. in the local economy and is basically trading more than Liam Fox could yes. ever imagine <laughs> with not only the EU but beyond, yes, right? Yeah. So, so do you want to kind of rehearse for some of our yeah. listeners, like those three tenants yes, and, and totally. what, they mean, what they mean for people who are in our position? Yeah, 100%. So um, in terms of... Um, uh, the moral argument, I think we all know that. And I think we all feel it inherently, which is why we're so uncomfortable with these issues, which is why we never want to accept that maybe we do have unconscious bias or prejudices because we know it goes against the very thing that makes us human. So straight away, to me, the moral argument is quite clear because you feel it within your own DNA. Um, in terms of the social argument... If you look at the cities that people flock to, the cities that people want to go and, um, you know, 
build homes and create families and so on. It is diverse cities that attract more talent. And then in terms of the economic argument, that feeds back into the second argument. So uh, Connor and I were talking before we uh, started the podcast about, oh, no, it was Hedrick Sam, it was you and I, wasn't it? Um, about, um, <laughs> these white men. Just yeah, these white men. <laughs> white straight men, they're all the same, aren't they? I've got a lot of love for white men, just so you know. You know I'm not a white man basher. <laughs> I'm a white man. That's how some lover. people show their love for white yeah. men. <laughs> Richard, God. I love Richard. That's why we get on. So, um, so, um, uh, so Amy Chua, um, who wrote the Tiger Mum book, do you know her? Yeah. So anyway, her first book uh, was all about uh, hyperpowers. And hyperpowers are basically one step beyond a superpower. And according to her, there have only been three, uh, the Mongol Empire, the Roman Empire, and America. And the thing that makes a hyperpower different to a superpower and what makes a, a hyperpower even more powerful, as it were, is diversity. Because what hyperpowers do is they take the best of everybody and integrate it into uh, their societies and benefit as a result. And I think that actually Britain, post-Brexit, we have to decide what we're going to be. And I think that the focus should be on getting diversity right and we almost become a mini hyperpower within Europe. So for me, that's that's where the economic piece comes in. So this is very much a retort to um, uh, to, to, to assimilation. Yes. It's, a, it's the embrace of it's difference It's the embrace. But, but also what the hyperpowers allowed was they allowed the, these different ethnic groups to also hold on to their uh, identity and from their countries of origin. So yeah. Hannah, did you have a question that you wanted to pick up on? It was from a little bit earlier. Yes. It was about, so I know you mentioned you were talking about the economic argument and we've had that discussion quite a lot, but I wondered what you thought about within this conversation when it comes to hyperpowers and comes to having diverse societies, how we create structures within those societies that are inclusive of everyone. Because I know we were talking about earlier, you can see that Strand now very much in thinking when it comes to racial equality is how do we make sure our institutions aren't fundamentally racist? Yeah. I think quite yeah. a few are. I yeah. was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think the first thing is, I think for me, we should be looking uh, really towards um, uh, equal opportunity rather than um, equality of outcome. And, and that, you know, they are two different things and they give you two different results. Um, and I think in terms of how we uh, deal with institutional racism, this is one of the things where it's a long-term approach. That does not happen overnight. And you've got to take a real systematic approach to it in, in, in terms of working with the leadership, but also working within organizations. Because what happens often with these things is the leadership decides, oh, we're going to be more inclusive, blah, 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 blah. But somehow it doesn't filter through to the rest of the organization. And then when you have the diversity piece, so you bring in diverse talent, you don't deal with the inclusion piece and what happens is there's a, uh, there's a, a, a sort of a conflict in terms of culture. And so what's really important is that we create a pipeline that trains diverse talent to be able to move up a corporate structure or an organization structure, but also that we're constantly working with those that are there so that they understand why this is important. And it's always good to have case studies because all of the research shows you the beautiful thing about data is it shows you why this is beneficial. So if we're saying an organization wants to hit X target, you know, 
financial targets by such and such a time. And we're able to show that actually you sort out your diversity, whether that's gender, whether that's ethnicity or, uh, or the untapped potential of the disabled community for for with ethnicity we're seeing that actually it can add a third to your bottom line increase your bottom line by a third with gender in some cases it can double your bottom line so what we're saying is if you get this piece right you actually can hit that financial target a lot quicker and if we're encouraging people to understand the benefits i think that's how you don't create the resentment which sometimes happen when we start talking about quotas and i'm all in favor of targets goals quotas i i think you know you have to set uh, we have to know where we're working towards otherwise what's the point but i do think you have to also make sure we're changing uh culture and we're changing mindsets with this inclusion piece. Well, I think we will need to stop it there, but do keep listening. We'll be discussing pro-Europe campaigning next. Nice. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, it's Alison McGovern here at Chair of Progress. I've just got a short message. If you're enjoying the Progressive Britain podcast so far, there are three things that you can do which would really help us out. The first thing is to subscribe to our podcast so that you always get the latest episode. The second thing is to rate us, tell us what you think. And the final thing is to leave us a little review. We love to hear what people think and the best ones get read out on the review show on a Friday. And if we really like what you've got to say, you could even win a Progress mug. So don't forget, subscribe, rate, review. So June, as well as your work on uh, diversity in Britain, you're mm. also a pretty major pro-Europe campaigner, wow. both during and <laughs> since the 2016 referendum. Yeah. Can I just stop asking you how you came to be involved in that at all? So I, had, I was living in America just before the 2015 election. And so I actually posted my vote from the States and I never thought for well, I mean, number one, we we didn't think the Tories would actually win, did we? <laughs> and then number two, I didn't think the referendum was going to happen. So I wasn't even thinking about the referendum mm. when I made that vote. And then when they got in and it was like, 
actually now they have to honor that. I was like, oh my goodness. And it was just as I was moving back to the UK. And so I was talking to lots of our sort of mutual progressive friends and they were saying, you know, we think this referendum thing is actually definitely going to happen. We need to be organized. Um, Would you want to get involved? And I said, totally, because I was obviously I'd campaigned for the Scottish referendum. And, you know, we'd been successful there. Mm. And so I thought, well, there's a few things that I learned on that that maybe could be applied here. Um, And so that's how I came to join the board of Stronger In. I think there were a lot of things that we did right, but there were obviously a lot that we did wrong. And I think we we underestimated just how resentful certain parts of the country were feeling in terms of globalization. So this wasn't a a specific thing about the referendum that spurred you on to get involved. You were kind of already very pro-EU. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's interesting. What what kind of campaigns are you involved in now? And um, and what is it that you're campaigning for? Apart from the diversity campaigning, a lot of my campaigning is still around uh, the EU Mm. um, in terms of what happens once that deal is done and whether or not we accept it and how we give the people uh, a say in, 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 in the decision-making process. Yeah. Um, and so one of the campaigns uh, that I'm doing at the moment, which is about how we sort of move beyond um, the division and the divide Hmm. Um, with Ancestry DNA, and it's called Europotomy. <laughs> <laughs> You're all a part of me. Um, and really what it looks at is DNA and the fact that, you know, 60% of British people, and the, the majority of British people have at least 60% European heritage. Hmm. So even if we're leaving the EU, the EU isn't leaving us. And from my <laughs> perspective, mine is the immigrant story. So my family are from Ghana, and it's really what uh, Europe has done done for us and the fact that Europe has given uh, my family and families like mine um, so many opportunities. And so for me, it's about how we still stay connected in some way, shape or form. Um, what I found really interesting about that campaign as well mm. was the diversity of people you're yeah. with, <laughs> alongside Alistair Campbell, obviously yeah. we all love here, and um, Stanley Johnson, yeah. father of Boris, Boris Johnson, everyone's yes. favourite Leave campaigner. Yes, <laughs> and Ian Dale, who's a big Leaver, mm. but even even Ian, you know, as much as you know, he voted to leave. This is a man who used to live in Germany, who speaks fluent German, um, and has worked extensively throughout Europe. Uh, so. Even though there are lots of things that he doesn't like about the EU, he understands the benefits of keeping some sort of links. And, and, and I think this is about how we create a connection, even if we do leave. So this is about maintaining a relationship with Europe. Yeah, uh, and celebrating and celebrating okay. what we have in common. And, and because it feels, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this a bit earlier, but it does feel quite divisional at the moment and so this is not necessarily about a specific type of Brexit deal or no. overturning Brexit this is this is just about not having have a kind common. of negative exactly. view of it all. Yeah. that's really interesting mm-hmm. do, do, and it's fun as well you know it's a lot of good singing <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's been um, a kind of shift in in opinion anyway since since the election have, have these divides kind of got worse do people have a more negative thing or i think there's brexit fatigue happening for sure <laughs> i think there are a lot yeah, of people yeah who are just like <laughs> a lot of people are over it and i think what i would like to see happen and particularly from the labor perspective is i think it's really time that jeremy corbyn and and those close to him 
take a clear stand on Brexit because it's so ambiguous at the moment. And actually, I think what needs to happen is we need leadership to go out and make the case for Europe to labor Brexiteers because what we know for sure will happen next year is there's going to be some sort of vote, whether it be a second referendum, which is highly unlikely, whether it's a general election or it is uh, just a parliamentary vote, which we know is happening. I think it's really important that this next year is spent talking to Labour Brexiteers and making the case for why Europe is actually better for them long term so that if there is another vote or if there is another election, we have changed public opinion on this. I I don't think we can just assume that people who voted leave are now changing their minds. I'm not Mm. sure that's happening. Mm. I think that's going to happen more as we start feeling the results of... um, Brexit even more so when food prices go up and so on. Um, but we need to be making yeah. the case. But it wouldn't necessarily even be them changing their minds necessarily and how they voted in 2016, but just against what the kind of Tories are, are offering, offering and, yes. and that specific and type of And against the, 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 the you know, disastrous Tory deal. Yeah. That's yeah. the key. We're not asking them to say that they were wrong no. or that they were duped. It's no, that no, saying no, no, that no. what they were offered as a Brexit deal, turns out isn't available yes. as an option, yes. is not going to be what Theresa May comes yes. out with as a deal. Yes. And therefore, there are decisions. And yes. what's a very bizarre thing about the referendum is, you know, 17 million people decided one way, 16 million other. But now we're coming down to 17 people yes. in the cabinet deciding yeah. what kind of Brexit Imagine. we have. And 16 people in the shadow cabinet. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I agree with you about Jeremy Corbyn is he's well-placed for two reasons. One, his traditional Euroscepticism and slight reticence in the campaign yes. means that if what the Tories come back with is disastrous, he has quite a lot of credibility. credibility yes. people. Yeah. But secondly, surely his triumph of 2017 was activating a group of young people who to are vote, mainly pro-EU. To vote yes. Labour, yes. Exactly, who are pro-European, yep. who voted for the first time. Yep. And if voting for the first time didn't get any results, yes. they'll be turned off politics forever. forever. So he has a responsibility I agree. He to owes those it to people. them. Yep. And what they did... Their ultimate achievement, while they were unable to get a Labour government, which we all regret, yes. was to transfer the dis- ultimate decision on Brexit yes. from the Cabinet yes. to the Parliament. Yes. And the job now is for Parliament to transfer that to, to the, the people. To the people, I agree. 100%. High five. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the first high five we've recorded on the Progressive Britain podcast. I'm delighted. Good moment. I've, I've got one final question. Richard, you'll love this because um, yeah. a lot of this stuff seems to uh, feed in wider a lot of your campaigning feeds in wider than simply a kind of specific view on our relationship with the European Union mm. um, and I know Jacob Rees-Mogg recently delivered a petition to cut international aid to Downing Street mm. but you argued on um, the pledge okay. which oh, my is favourite program yeah, oh, this is fantastic yeah <laughs> the pledge which so is good. on Sky News isn't it yes. it's, it's Richard's favourite program good. and you argue on there that actually people with concerns about the levels of immigration in this country yeah. should support foreign aid oh yeah uh, yes yes <laughs> so I kind of wonder if you want to kind yes. of expand on that a bit well first things that's why we agree with you yes. so much yes. <laughs> always, always always agree with you um, I think the first thing is uh, uh, that whole episode was absolute dog whistle xenophobia. We know exactly what Ray- Jacob Rees-Mogg's agenda was when he did that, and it's and it's and it's so dangerous. But in terms of what we need to make people understand is that if you are 
anti-immigration, which I am not, and I think my story represents why I am not anti-immigration. But if you are, then you should be pro-foreign aid, because that is how we make sure that people don't come here. When we build uh, civil society, when we help generate their economies, and and if we're leaving Brexit, we need as many trading partners as possible. That is how we are able to create a much more stable world so that those people are not coming and, and at our shores. And I think it's really important that we understand what that money does and how the majority of that money is used. Of course, you're going to have people abuse the system, but that's like with any bureaucracy. But by and large, that money is used for good. And I've seen it. I've been on the ground. I've seen firsthand just the impact that some of this money is having, particularly in countries like Ghana, where my Brilliant. June, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great to have you here. Uh, Next up, we've got the political pub quiz question. Every week, Connor asks a political pub question, which is then answered on Friday's show. Thanks, June. Uh, This week, Jeremy Hunt overtook Nye Bevan as the second longest serving health secretary of all time. But who is first? Send your answers to office at progressonline.org.uk or at Connor Pope on Twitter and listen to Friday's show to find out if you've won a mug. We're going to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have June Sarpong joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email or best of all as an iTunes review and we'll respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. And don't forget to subscribe and rate. Thanks for listening. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.